0: Hey everybody, this is Ray Palsch and this is episode 53 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's having a good week out there. You know, over the course of the past episodes, we've covered just about every facet of film. We've covered romance, we've covered comedy, we've covered sci-fi, we've covered horror... Uh, Action, lots of 80s action recently, but there's one element we haven't touched upon yet, and that is the documentary. Now, documentaries can be a complex film to approach because you not only have the subject matter, but you have to consider the objectivity of the material that you're being delivered. Is it really a documentary or is it propaganda? And I think that's why a lot of people tend to steer away from documentaries. They're not exactly a go to film genre for a lot of people, so I was thrilled when this week's guest, Elizabeth McDuffie, decided that she wanted to do a documentary, and she settled on what is probably one of the more popular documentaries out there, which is 1975's Grey Gardens. Now, if you don't know this movie, that's okay. As usual, we will talk about it enough that you'll get a feel for what's going on. We also do talk about IFC's documentary Now!, which has a parody episode of Grey Gardens. In fact, it was their very first episode. And if you just want a feel for what the documentary is about, but don't feel like watching Grey Gardens as a whole, I do recommend you check that out. It is really funny. Uh, Fred Armisen and Bill Hader doing uh, their take on different documentaries, and, and uh, their their take on Grey Gardens is hilarious. But that's not what we're talking about this week, although we do kind of touch upon that a little bit. We are talking about Grey Gardens itself. Uh, it's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go with 1975's Grey Gardens with guest Elizabeth McDuffie. So when I put out the call looking for, for guests, you first asked about documentaries, which is an area the show has not covered before, which excites me. Um, me too. Before you settled on a movie, you just asked about documentaries in general. Is that kind of your area of film love or is that just an area of specific interest or was it just trying to find something unique?
1: Some of the above and none of the above. I, I love documentaries. I love film in general. I used to be quite a film buff, actually, although um, more recently since television has entered its golden age, I am a little <laughs> bit uh, less so. But I think I just wanted to make sure that documentary was something that you would want to cover on your show because I hadn't seen any. So Yeah.
0: Well, your your comment about television golden age is kind of – an interesting one because I've realized more and more how I'm doing that exact same thing. I will watch television rather than a movie because so many shows are now, you know, 10 hour movies or 13 hour movies.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I I think um, it's a lot easier to bring quality programming to people on the small screen than it is on the large screen just in terms of getting funding and getting your project made.
0: Well, and television is a realm where traditionally the writer has more control over the end product. Right. And so what you see with television is a lot more of a true adaptation of what a writer intends, whereas with movies, the, the the director is supposed to act as the writer's surrogate, but often they have their own agenda, and you end up with more of a, a group project than, you know, that single vision.
1: Exactly. Uh, some Sometimes uh, completely. I don't know if you saw Eyes Wide Shut, which was partially Stanley <laughs> Kubrick's last film, but someone else stepped in and... Finish the directing after Kubrick's demise.
0: I have not seen that. I, I tend to think more of like AI, which was, you know, a Kubrick script directed by Spielberg. Oh, um, God.
1: But... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Boy. Yikes. I, I could go off on that one. Yeah. It, it's very Spielbergian. It, it is.
0: And one of the podcasts I listened to recently covered it, and I realized I haven't given it a chance since I thought it, saw it in theaters.
1: Nor have uh, I. And, and
0: it might be worth revisiting because they had some interesting things to say about it.
1: That's the cool thing about podcasts. They give you new ways to think about things, different perspectives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what uh, what kind of television shows, what kind of movies are uh, your game? What What do you tend to be drawn towards?
1: I like cringe comedy. I like food and food and travel, too. I would say our tastes are pretty eclectic, actually. I like some documentary television, too. There was a show gotcha. called Abandoned, a Canadian show, starring a world-class skateboarder whose name I'm forgetting. I, I, I strongly recommend it. It was a Vice Media show. It was streaming on Hulu, and Hulu just dropped it, so I don't know where you'd find it. But he goes to abandoned places... Um, which have been abandoned because of changing economics. Uh huh. Like the first one takes place in a mall. Of course, he always skates the places. <laughs> of course. And, it, and he's he's a charming guy. It's just driving me crazy that I'm brain farting on his name because he's he's an absolutely charming host. And he there's a, there's a political tinge to it and a look at uh, it's kind of an exploration of the failure of capitalism. Interesting. Interesting. And these ghost spaces that are created, you know, the American mall, that's that's the first one he looks at. And boy, you want to talk about a situation where immediate small ghost towns were created. Oh, yeah? Well, th- malls malls are dead. I mean, th- the, the internet basically killed malls. And then what was left, I think, COVID finished off. <laughs> so <laughs> succinctly put. <laughs> See, we still have a successful
0: mall. In the area where I live. So I guess I don't think of malls as dead, although I
1: can't remember the last time I went to a mall. So. Right? I'm certainly... We, we have one nearby us that's, I guess, not not completely in ruins and people certainly aren't skateboarding in there. But um, I see that as a wave of the future. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. (laughs) Sorry to start you off on a depressing note. (laughs)
0: No, actually, I think that's almost appropriate, given the the movie you've selected for us to talk about, because uh, it kind of ties into some of the ideas that you just talked about, about uh, what once was decadent kind of falling into ruin and that kind of stuff. So let's get into it. We're talking this week about Grey Gardens from 1975, uh, directed by David Massales. Albert Massales, Muffy Meyer, and Ellen Hovid. Thank you so
1: much for also naming the women. They are so. Oh, absolutely. They're very seldom mentioned. And I did a little digging. David and Albert Mazels, I think they like to be called, and Muffy Meyer collaborated on the direction. But they always are careful to name the person they edit with, too. And I think Ellen Hovda might have been editor.
0: Yeah. Well, Meyer and Hovda were the editors, um, but then they gave them director credit.
1: So sweet. I love yeah. that. And in 75, they're, they're passing the Bechdel test already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, starring Edith, Little Edie, Bouvier-Beals, Edith Bouvier-Beals, Brooks Hires, Jerry Torrey, uh, David Mazels, and Albert Mazels.
1: Correct.
0: It's very difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. You know what I mean?
2: It's awfully difficult. I suppose I won't get out of here till she dies or I die. Who is she? This is the worst one of my wedding pictures. They always look worse. And she looked like a girl
0: that had everything.
1: I was that a fashion show? I thought it was a cat's pajamas in that. I missed out on everything. I was stuck here with Mother the Cat's the House and T Logan. Everything's good that you didn't do. At the time that you didn't want it. Cat's going to the bathroom. Right in the back of my portrait. Oh, isn't that awful? I'm glad he is. I'm glad somebody's
0: doing something they want to do. I always start with, how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? How do you convince them? How do you sell them on wanting to see this movie?
1: Well, I'd probably start by saying it's regarded as one of the most important documentaries of the 21st century. The Maisel brothers invented direct cinema, which is in stark contrast to cinema verite, because they they don't um, they don't change the direction of their subjects and they don't push their subjects to revelations. They just witness what's unfolding in front of them. And Then I'd also say you know these are Jackie O's aunt and cousin, very privileged socialites, who've become recluses in this increasingly dilapidated 28-room mansion on the beach in East Hampton, and that the interactions between mother and daughter are unnerving and fascinating, kind of impossible to turn away from. (laughs) That's one way to put it. (laughs) I'd also say that if you're watching this, you'll notice that at one point, little Edie says... That it's, Im- it's impossible to tell the passage of time or to separate the past from the present. Something along those lines. It's very says. difficult to keep the line between the past and the present. That line stood out to me to the point that I wrote it down in my notes. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. So she makes this comment on the, the you know, tracking time. But as a viewer... You can track the passage of time by paying attention to that attic wall, which gradually gets eaten away more and more and more. Yeah. So you can see that there's that there's there's less wall towards the end of the movie than there was at the beginning, and I love that as a timekeeping method. I mean, not for my own house. <laughs> <laughs> So what is your history with this movie? First time I watched it was about 20 years ago at the recommendation of some of my friends. We all got together at my house and watched it and were just fascinated and intrigued. And we were, we were also bandmates at the time. And I was inspired actually to start a punk rock band called Old Lady Style, <laughs> Where we'd sing <laughs> punk rock standards like Big Edie. called <laughs> "Save the Queen." <laughs> you know, <like. laughs> well, I even had our logo figured out. I wanted to ape the old Navy logo, but be old lady. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> we, we were seriously <laughs> contemplating doing it, but you know, some band ideas don't get past the contemplation stage, and that's as- And we right. also went around driving people crazy singing punk rock standards in high, high warbly voices. <laughs> There's almost a
0: delicious irony about creating a punk band uh, whose concept is inspired by a documentary about two women who spend a good deal of the movie singing uh, old tunes. Tea
1: for two. And then there's um, there's a Marlena Dietrich song that Little Edie is singing, um, which enrages Big Edie. Right. Right. Stop it. It is. Stop it. You'll make me get up. (laughs) Crazy. So, yeah. But at the same time, don't you think there's something kind of like little it is idiosyncratic, shall we say, way of putting together an outfit is pretty damn punk rock. (laughs) It's unique. I will give it that. I mean, um I didn't think of it in terms of punk rock, but yeah. It, it's subversive.
0: Yeah, I couldn't help but, I mean, I even jotted down about her headscarves, which then become like towels and sweaters. Dish and I mean, towels. she always has a head covering, but the material it's made out of becomes more and more bizarre throughout the documentary.
1: Does it? I, I noticed that she had some bizarre choices. I didn't notice it. Um progressing. But that's the thing about this documentary is I feel like you need more than one viewing.
0: I agree. This is actually my first time seeing this movie. Ooh, and that was I'm my so first excited. Thought. <laughs> I, I finished it last night and my first thought was, well, I don't feel fully equipped to discuss this movie tomorrow night. <laughs> um, I mean, I was familiar with it. My sisters are big fans of it. Oh, wow. Cool. And a while ago, they showed me the the very first episode of Documentary Now. Oh my
1: God, with Bill Hader and Fred Armisen, Sandy Passage.
0: Yeah. So it's a comedy, for those who don't know it, it's a comedy by Bill Hader and Fred Armisen uh, where they make fun of or parody documentaries, and their very first episode parodies this one. And so- I had seen that. I didn't get a lot of the jokes because I hadn't seen Grey Gardens, oh but that's God. what first put this movie on my radar. You need to so watch them
1: fa- both again.
0: <laughs> so I've been familiar with it, but I hadn't sat down and actually
1: watched it until last night. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah, a documentary <laughs> now with Helen Mirren hosting and just aping the most serious film host. Yes. Ever. And she always gives some absurd like you're now watching episode 374 of Documentary Now always just some extremely large number that has no relation to how many episodes (laughs) there are. I think we binged on every available episode of that or the ones that are available on Netflix. Love that. And Bill Hader has sweatpants on his head. Which seemed absolutely (laughs) bizarre
0: to me at the time, but now that I've seen the movie, I'm like, that's not that far removed from what Little
1: Edie would do. It's a revolutionary (laughs) outfit. (laughs) Costume. She doesn't even say outfit. She calls it a costume. A costume, right? This is the perfect costume for the day. Another thing about Little Edie, I guess if I was this, if I were going to recommend it to a contemporary viewer, is anyone who's a fan of Schitt's Creek... I think Moira Rose's accent that, and she does she goes in and out of accents. I think it owes a debt to this this particular transatlantic accent these ladies have.
0: Yeah, it's a very unique. I mean, I wrote down um, you know New Englandish outf- uh, accent, but even that doesn't quite capture it's, it.
1: I think it's. I think it's actually a transatlantic, and it's it's kind of that same sort of accent you hear in um, 1930s and 40s films, too, that everyone then had. Right. Yeah. But I think it's, it's not quite New England. It's definitely not Bostonian. No, no. It's much posher. And that, it, 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 and it almost kind of
0: going with that, what you're talking about, Moira's accent coming and going, it, is one of the points of this film that... I, 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 again, I feel like I need subsequent viewings to really pay attention to. But the amount of performing for the camera that, especially Little Edie, does. Oh my
1: gosh! Oh, the military dance.
0: Yes, which I love because I'm in Virginia and it's referencing Virginia Military Academy Institute. So, which is not how perfect.
1: (laughs) Very apropos. Yeah, you've got access to lots of those teeny tiny flags then. (laughs) (laughs) for when you're feeling inspired to choreograph your own military dance yeah i'll pass on that (laughs) yeah i don't blame you i'm not feeling inspired to do that either i don't know there's something gripping and hypnotic about this documentary and it's sort of an exercise in stasis because it seems like nothing happens but paradoxically also everything happens you want to expand
0: on that? Because I did walk away feeling like there
1: wasn't a whole lot that happened in this. Well, that that's the whole thing about direct cinema, too, is they're not trying to force, you know, a narrative arc or a denouement or anything on, on just the reality that's unfolding. Right. But my my
0: quandary with that, uh, because I did do some researching on direct cinema, um, my my quandary with that is it's specifically, you know, the the filmmakers desiring to capture reality and yet if little edie is performing for the camera then what they're capturing is not real it's not reality
1: yeah um there's an interview actually with albert mazels and aside from describing how much he respected and was genuinely fond of these women which is comforting for anyone who's feeling cringy like is this you know are we are these obviously mentally unwell women being exploited he did like and respect them but aside from that he said that's that's what they do oh (laughs) when there's nobody there but if you think about it they're living in roughly three rooms i think of this 28 room mansion and you know we're seeing them at the tail end of the summer it looks like
0: yeah, because there's a reference about hating hating that winter's coming, even.
1: Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine <laughs> in that space and not be able to open the windows? I mean, that's one thing that surprises me about my many viewings of this film is I'm profoundly allergic to cat dander. That's the word the doctors actually use, profoundly allergic. I go from perfectly fine to pneumonia in the space of an hour. Oh. And watching this, I'm like, I, I, I can almost feel myself wanting to sneeze. that was the first of my notes was so many cats so many holes (laughs) yes
0: yeah so yeah it's late summer fall because they do also celebrate um Edie's birthday and her birthday was in october so but yes it's definitely that time period where uh, especially when it starts you can definitely you can you can feel the heat just watching how they're you know them hanging out on the outside porch uh, and and in what kind of clothing they're in?
1: Yes, little Edie sunbathing. They're they're both very casual about their boobs. You know, <laughs> little, little Edie's a little bit less so than Big Edie, who seems utterly just over any attempt to be modest or to you know keep those puppies supported or any any considerations like that. Those 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 are no longer of concern for her.
0: Yeah, she makes some comment about that. But then I did notice later on when she's you know she walks past the camera and then realizes her bathing suit has no back. She's hesitant to walk back by, and and that kind of goes to what you were just saying about how these men who made the documentary had a genuine affection for these ladies because they they turn the camera and they're shooting a picture through the mirror so that Big Edie can walk by without there being any impropriety.
1: And just I, I love that. I love that even though it was impromptu and not planned just as a filmmaking strategy. It's like, oh, now we glimpse the directors through the mirror. Right. It's, it's stunning.
0: It's so unique in a documentary for the directors to be become part of the story. I mean, the idea behind a documentary is you're documenting what's happening and you don't want to become part of the story. And yet the measles are very quickly, it's very apparent that the measles are going to be part of this story because the the, the women are going to address them. Throughout the whole movie.
1: Well, Little Edie's sweet on David Maisel's. I think that's made abundantly clear. (laughs) I was going to ask you if you thought she was flirting with him. (laughs) I I think she flirts with everybody in general. I think that's just one of her modes is flirtatious. And see, that's one of the, when I said nothing happens because we are just with these people that keep repeating the same argument that you know they've been having for 30 years. And there is... A lot of stasis. There's also a lot of drama just in the interactions and you know, with the directors and with Jerry and with little Edie's surreptitious whispers. Right. To the camera. Like even at the very beginning. Mother wanted me to wear a kimono, so we had a dreadful fight. <laughs> <laughs> explaining her um her revolutionary costume. Yes with the uh the pants the shorts
0: on and then the stockings over them and then the skirt on top of that
1: because i don't like women in
0: skirts <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, let me take a look at the critical side of things. Uh, the movie sits at 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. solid. Yeah, it ha- and it sits at 82% on Metacritic. Um, I always bring in a positive and a negative review. The negative review for this one was hard to find. Uh, I actually had to move off of top critics. I almost always look at the top critics on Rotten Tomatoes, and all of the top critics' reviews were positive. Mm-hmm. So for the positive review, as I usually try to do, I did bring in Roger Ebert, uh, and he wrote... It is here that the film has its fascinating, mysterious center. We gradually realize that these two women are absolutely dependent on one another, that they form a composite personality, or as the Maisels put it, a closed system. Edie never married. She brought a few boys home, but her mother didn't like them. So that's one thing to fight about. That was just after the fall of France, Edie says at one time, dating a memory. (laughs) France fell, her mother says, but Edie didn't. The house is surrounded, as Edie observes, by a sea of green. The grounds have grown wild. I lost a lovely blue scarf in there one day and never found it again, she muses. Inside, plaster is crumbling from the walls, and raccoons coexist amicably with the Beals and a large family of cats.
1: He's such a good writer. I've always yeah. admired his writing.
0: Oh, yeah. Even when I disagree with him, I appreciate oh, the artistry he put into his uh, words.
1: Every sentence, every just on the sentence level, just, just gorgeous. Yeah.
0: On the negative side, uh, the review's from Josh Larson of Larson on Film, okay. which tells you how I had to go to find Sounds a negative illustrious. review. illustrious.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Josh Larson writes, to its credit, Grey Gardens is largely neutral in its technique so that you never feel that the movie is choosing one woman over the other. It's
1: called direct there cinema, is- Josh.
0: Yet there is something unseemly in his choice to document the Beals at all. It's not exactly that mother and daughter are being unwittingly exploited, though one wonders what a psychologist would make of their mental states. It's that Edith and Edie, who both pursued show business careers at different points in their lives, are such eager subjects, so willing to let the camera roll with little thought to what, aside from their immediate selves, it might be capturing. If Grey Gardens doesn't exactly exploit that, the documentary certainly takes dubious advantage
1: yeah, okay, Josh Larson. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, there's there's Albert Mazel's interview, but there's there's also the fact that that when the film screened, um, sadly, Big Edie died two years after the completion of the film. But um little Edie went to the premiere. Oh, did she? And she did. And she was asked how she liked it. And she absolutely loved it. I think that's actually a verbatim quote. And they asked if there's anything she would change. And she said they could just have included more singing and dancing. But otherwise, she absolutely <laughs> loved it. I, I, I have to ask, uh, do you know what she
0: wore to the premiere?
1: Yes. I haven't seen pictures, but I've heard it described she wore an old red dress of big edies and backwards
0: uh, i okay i I heard about that dress. I didn't realize that was to the premiere, yeah, she wore it, and the zipper was in the front instead of in the back where it was supposed to be.
1: She's always just got to do something revolutionary with her costume,
0: yeah. <laughs> She's a character. Well, the 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 reason I brought in the Larson review was because uh, uh you know the that idea. First of all, I disagree with him about them being exploited. Uh, I, I agree. I think the Mazels show deep affection for their their subject matter, and as I said, that that moment when they turn the camera on themselves mm-hmm. rather than potentially exploit uh, Edith, I, I think that says a ton about the, their approach to telling this story. But I did want to bring up the idea of the performance, which we had already talked about. So that's, that's why I threw it in there. But uh, you're saying that that's kind of who they were even when the cameras weren't rolling. So maybe it is capturing truth.
1: Apparently. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, in, in the winter, I don't know if they had working heat. I suspect they didn't.
0: I wouldn't think so.
1: So there's no evidence of a TV. There is no TV. And there's radio. You know, you catch them listening to Norman Vincent Peale.
0: Yeah, do you can you explain that one to me? Because I didn't get a chance to research that. But they they listened to him, and then he's at Edith's birthday party. Was that Norman
1: Vincent Peale? Wasn't that the older gentleman? I don't think so.
0: I thought it was, but really, he, okay, we're we're, we're
1: both Trump. gonna go do research. <laughs> oh wow! Oh. I, no,
0: it's just a voice. I thought that was him at the birthday party. No, but he's
1: maybe not. he's pretty famous. Um. As it happens, my, my maternal grandmother was a big fan of his. Although, if you listen to his platitudes, think, really think, try, really try, do, really do. Like, what does that even mean? Right. It's but just they're so enamored by platitudes.
0: this. And I mean, obviously, it's important for Edith to listen to this because she has it on her radio, and little Edie pulls out a second radio to help tune into it, I guess, in case the first radio dies? Or, I mean, I never understood why she pulled out a second radio. I don't but know. But it, it seemed such a pivotal part of the movie that they wanted to listen to this.
1: They were getting stereo with two radios, maybe? That's... <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and, and yet my reaction to it was exactly
1: what you said, which is, it, it's really empty platitudes. Uh, very much so. Uh, uh, he had a book that was a, a huge bestseller, called the, the Power of Positive Thinking, and um, he was... Uh, Presbyterian, I think Minister, pundit With a radio show Uh, Fun, lesser known Fact about him His parish is the same one that Donald Trump's parents and that family Grew up going to We won't go down that rabbit hole No I'm just going to drop that fun fact And then I'm going to walk away from it Like it's a bag of hot hammers (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'll do with that
2: Hello, good time of day, and welcome to the promo for Four Starts Podcast. We're a movie podcast that dives deep into movies that try to start a franchise and failed after only one movie. The reason I'm talking so fast is because we're going to do now, hopefully, an entire episode of Four Starts Podcast in under 60 seconds about Superman Returns. Go! On my right, we have Ashley, who smells exactly as he sounds. On my right, we have Dan, or Daddy Danny. (laughs) No time for (laughs) laugh, Dr. Jones! Come on! I'm right, it's Lewis. He's like a rubber chicken in human form. That's me. Guys, uh, what's your favourite trumpet sound? (laughs) Theme tune. (laughs) So, Superman Returns, let's talk about it. Dan, what would you think of it? Awful, Should never been made. Ashley, Brandon Rouse, the sexy man. And I don't know if we're allowed to mention Kevin Spacey by her name. Is it a good movie? It's not a good movie. Hell no. Let's have a break. We're back! Why did Superman Returns never get a sequel? Because it didn't make enough money, obviously. What would the sequel have been if it did? That big chunk of kryptonite floating about in space would have made Brainiac and Bizarro Superman. What would we do if we were going to do a movie?
0: Superman teaches your son that to be Superman and
2: Superman's son turns out to be evil. Superman flies around the Earth, which means he goes back in time, but also causes a hurricane that kills his dad. Superman fights a giant spider. Join us for a full episode. We've already covered things like Dumbo. Doom! Planet of the Apes. Roger Rabbit. Keith Lemmon, The Movie. Full Starts Podcast. Find us wherever you find your podcasts. Thirty-five Time, that's time!
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the background of the movie, because you need a little bit of context. They do give you a, a, a little bit of context at the beginning, you know, that this house was... It wasn't set for being demolished, but they were being removed from it until yes. Jackie Anassis stepped in and helped pay for repairs and, and, and taxes and you know whatever else it was that they owed. And the movie doesn't really capture that other than showing some magazine articles or newspaper articles. Right. The clippings at the beginning. But we're in the aftermath of that event happening. So I knew that. But Edith talks about her family when we're seeing all these pictures of her, when she was younger, um oh, so beautiful and, right and and that actually is kind of what you were talking about before we even started ta- talking about the movie, you know, about going to these dead spaces, you know, dead shopping malls and and to me, that was part of this movie was the beauty of the past mm-hmm. in stark contrast to the the squalor that they 're living in in the present,
1: oh, big Edith's bed. Oh, oh, my God. My God. That that, the, <laughs> that that mattress. And, you know, aren't you so glad that smell has never been invent- invented?
0: You, oh, yeah, because the one cat's constantly to... going behind her portrait using the potty, and it's
1: not a litter box. It's just that's where he's going. And that cat's not peeing, I'm pretty no. certain. That cat's no. doing one. Yeah. And I love her reaction to that because little Edie says... Oh, I know isn't it awful and big Edie says well at least someone around here is doing what they want to do and i I just <laughs> I mean talk about the see this is this is the power of positive thinking maybe taken a, a tad too far <laughs> <laughs>
0: so so getting back to my question uh, so when they're when she's looking at those pictures and she's talking about her family, she had two sons mm-hmm. But they're never referenced in the the present of the movie.
1: No, apparently they tried to stay far away from it.
0: Ah, so they're still alive, but just
1: well, no, not, nobody in this nobody mentioned this film was alive in um, two thousand twenty. But they were no, alive. I, I mentioned nineteen seventy five yeah. <laughs> when it was filmed. <laughs> yeah, the, they were alive, and all reports I've seen were that they were just really not wanting to be in with them. I think one was um, in finances and the other one was in law, which sounds very much what like Father Thielen Beal, what an aristocratic name, by the way. <laughs> but it sounds like what Thielen Beal would have been urging his offspring to do. And again, we get into,
0: you know, irony. Those seem like services that would have helped these women out finances and law
1: yeah you know I, I wonder if they were kind of thinking if we let things get decrepit enough and and let it build up enough that they they'll just they'll just get out because I heard that they were that biggie was encouraged many times just to sell the mansion right and that she'd then have plenty of money to live on but she's got a codependency as much with that mansion as with her daughter I would postulate. (laughs) There's a relationship there. And I think the mansion also should be mentioned as a character. Oh yeah, sure.
0: Right? And, And I hadn't thought of it expressing the passage of time in the way that you said, as far as like that wall because that that is like the first shot of the movie is the the hole that she saw the raccoons come through it does grow <laughs> yes I, I just I hadn't thought of it again only having seen it once but I, you know I thought of the outside as helping show the passage of time because you certainly see you know the dead tree limbs in the fall when she's talking about not you know hating the winter and not wanting to spend another winter there um, must be awful the mansion itself even though we only see three or four rooms of the whole estate the mansion itself is definitely a character
1: yeah in in all of its former grandeur and it's now it's destruction and it's decrepitude it's growing decrepitude and also it's it's transformation from a, a place for socialites and the, the truly upper crust into more of a raccoon habitat yeah <laughs> i
0: i have so much issue with that part of things from a personal level that i probably should not get into on a podcast that family members listen to <laughs> my husband
1: my husband has raccoon stories from a house he used to own he 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 has all kinds of colorful language for when raccoons take up residence in your attic
0: well, I will just say my, my mother still lives in the home that we moved into when I was a teenager. Wow. And she has a an inordinate number of cats. Mm-mm. And over the past few years, you know, some of them are outside cats. How and many? Over the past how few many? years. Last count was 11 or 13. Oh,
1: my God. I will never visit your mother.
0: <laughs> I, I haven't been back since I moved out. But- Feeding the outside cats has attracted raccoons. Of course. They like cat food. There's a part of this movie. Well, of course she feeds them Wonder Bread and cat food when she goes up to the attic to feed them. But I'm watching this movie going, lots of cats, raccoons. Huh. This this doesn't connect with me at all.
1: <laughs> uh, the first time I saw this documentary 20 years ago, that scene, I, I think I was lifting my chin off my lap. I was absolutely agape. I just couldn't even believe and. Also hadn't she, she she just told her mother that she wasn't doing anything to attract the raccoons.
0: Well, she's not doing anything to attract them. She's just taking
1: care of the ones that are there. <laughs> 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 I almost said it with a straight face. They're they're trash bandits. They, they know how they, 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 those animals will be here after the apocalypse. Yeah. They they know how. So anyway, yeah, that, that 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 scene is is mind-blowing. And I think that's the thing too. Like you you can watch this there's so many levels, again, if we're going to talk to the Grey Gardens Virgin about why you would want to enter into this. There's there's so many ways you can enter into it. Are you a fan of Tennessee Williams plays? Ooh, that's a good angle. Are you a fan of Streetcar? Named Desire, is Blanche Dubois an interesting character to you? Because there's a lot with Little Edie and Blanche Dubois where you can establish some pretty solid commonalities, I would say. Yeah. You know? Instead of, I have always depended on the kindness of strangers, I've always depended on the kindness of mother I guess Um, so there's there's that and then I'm always reminded of um, well and if you want to if
0: you want to play that then you could almost go the opposite side with Tennessee Williams and say there's a lot of Amanda Wingfield Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. in Big Edith because she didn't let her daughter leave you know and and there's resentment from little Edie about how she's there and she never should have come back and she wants to get away and Edith is very passive aggressive about it. Well, then you can go. But we all know just from reading between the lines that no, she can't.
1: Well, and and big Edith on, um, you know, on that on that freedom. Well, you can't get it if you're being supported. Right. With, you know, it, it, it's a good point. If you're dependent, you can't be free. <laughs> that's what you tell your kid when they want to do whatever they want. It's like, well, who pays the bills? Who's keeping the roof over your head? Yeah, that's right. Me.
0: So, <laughs> although in their case neither of them are so
1: <laughs> do, do you know how this actually the, the, how it began was through Lee Radswell, um, Jackie O's sister right because she asked she wanted the Mazels and the Mazels were a, a hot ticket because they'd just done um, Gimme Shelter of the disastrous Stones concert at Altamont where a fan was killed by some Hell's Angels Oh, yeah. Oh, "Give Me Shelter" is amazing, but um, and also a, a hard view. The the Maisels they they do some hard views. This is one of their easier views, I think, actually in their catalog. Interesting. Okay, but anyway, so they were a hot ticket because this they did "Give Me Shelter." I think it was sixty nine. So I think it was seventy one. Lee Radzwell reached out, and she just wanted them to document because Gray Gardens was where she and Jackie spent their childhood summers. Right. And they had fond memories of this beautiful, beautiful mansion in the Hamptons and she just wanted them to go and document that. And the Maisels got there and they met Big and Little Edie and they're like, Well, wait a minute. We we we've got our documentary. <laughs> but they they shot some they shot some film of them and actually Lee Radswell was I think she she took or destroyed the negatives, and they had to go back and start over. Yeah. So I mean that that's a that's a setback. I don't know how many directors come back from having their their at that time. It would have been cans of film destroyed, and like oh, we're just gonna go back and start over again.
0: Well, I mean, the the benefit is they had a willing subject in the Beals. Um, you know, it's I am sure they didn't mind having them around for a couple more days to k- get more footage.
1: No, I mean, David is looking handsome in that blue sweater, and <laughs> 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 all I need is that man in my life. But um, yeah, and and that's the other thing. Like when people talk about, are, are these obviously that there is some codependence? I think little edie on top of what's obviously um oh did you know there's actually three theories as to her hair loss
0: oh i didn't know there was a single theory i i hadn't heard anything on that angle
1: well she's not wearing that that crap on her head for nothing
0: no yeah i mean i i i I made it as i said i made a note about the head head coverings early on and then there is one shot where what she's wearing covering her head is so thin Yes, um, you can it's see not too thin, but it's yes, you could see her scalp, and I was like, "Oh, well, that explains all the head covering." So uh, I just didn't know why, but I, I didn't really question it. What are what are the theories about that?
1: Well, and I'll say there's two I think don't stand up, and there's one I think is true, but the three theories are she lit her hair on fire, hmm. or she suffers from trichotillomania. You know that, that disease where you pull your hair out. Okay. that that mental illness
0: that sounds a little more plausible than lighting herself on fire
1: i don't know why anyone um or she just suffers from alopecia
0: yeah that would make sense too
1: and if you see her at the beach there's, there's a scene where she's actually on the beach and she's getting ready to go for a swim which looks lovely of all the things that don't look lovely in this film that that actually does look lovely that looks enviable (laughs) but um she's not wearing any makeup and you can see in that scene that she lacks both eyebrows and eyelashes oh really so i'm gonna go with alopecia
0: yeah that probably sounds the most plausible out of the three
1: doesn't it and also um, sure trichotillomania pulling your hair out but that doesn't usually extend to um ripping your eyebrows or eyelashes out right no that's a little a little too dramatic all of it's ow but um, <laughs> But anyway, I thought it was funny that there were three th- theories floating around about the hair loss. that is interesting. yeah, it's pretty wild. so um, yeah,
0: so you made the reference earlier to you know about the relationship between mother and daughter and and kind of the relationship between mother and the house the The relationship between the, the mother and daughter is very complicated extremely it, it almost as if as I said at the beginning you know you you get the feeling that that little edith is performing for the camera but there's also almost like n- she's not allowed to shine for the camera because mom was a singer you know and the, the, that oh god tea for two there's almost like this jealousy anytime either one of them takes the spotlight
1: yeah it's it's um, it's like they're in constant competition yeah and i i, I think Also, they've obviously been very reclusive and and pretty isolated for, you know, 30 years. And I I think they're hungry for what feminists call the male gaze. I think they court the male gaze. They want it and they want to be spotlighted in it.
0: They are really flirty with, uh, you know, the film crew, which are two men, and they also are very flirty. Uh, flirty with Jerry the uh the handyman. There's Who's not like
1: 20 years old.
0: Right, yes. I should say that. Yes. <laughs> there th- I didn't get a sense of attraction or flirtiness with the uh the gardener that's introduced at the very beginning, but then again, you only see him at the very beginning and uh y- he doesn't really show back up, so there's no real sense of that. I mean, you 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 haven't really established a sense of what's going on in the movie to d- even see what's going on with that relationship yet.
1: No. No, I, do you think he runs away? <laughs> do you think he's he the it? job? I, I, I think they were gonna give him like seventy-five bucks or something, and it's it's a, it's a literal forest. <laughs> I think he's just like uh, f this? I mean, Jerry gets what twenty-five dollars for
0: two, three days of trimming or something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is nineteen seventy-five, twenty-five dollars, right. but
0: still. It can't be an easy job.
1: (laughs) No, but, but Jerry seems like he's up to a lot of challenges, including eating bedside corn. Hey,
0: he (laughs) chose to eat that. He said he was going to turn it away, but he couldn't decline it. He couldn't (laughs) resist.
1: Yes. (laughs) I could resist in so many thousands of ways.
0: Yes. Well, and then I find it interesting that little Edie gets it in her head that he is courting her mom because he brought a washing machine.
1: Yeah. He wants to marry her, and that's a hell of a ring. Right (laughs) (laughs) I've got a Maytag Um, Yeah But doesn't Big Edie Seems to speculate That he Is more in a bone Little Edie Or is there just There's that tension Put out there Like you wonder If Because he's kind of He sits on little Edie's bed And he's like It's weird I mean she's 56 At the time this is made Right You can still See That she was A beautiful woman yeah. Her face has some serious bones.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's definitely, there are still
0: remnants in her appearance. You know, you look at those younger pictures of her. Oh my God. And and there are definitely still remnants of that in the way she looks at her current age when the
1: documentary was made. I mean, she actually looks good for 56. I mean, I, I don't think she was getting Botox or anything. No, <laughs> I don't think so. I, I don't even know if they had it. So, I mean, and that's without eyebrows and without eyelashes that she's holding it together. Oh, Jerry, the marble fawn. Yeah. Like Which when she,
0: when, when she refers to the marble fawn is trying to court, she doesn't say that that's Jerry. She doesn't connect that. I had to look that up to see that connection between, uh, you know, who she was talking about because my original thought was it was the gardener because Jerry's so young.
1: Right. No, they, they don't have a lot of boundaries about who they'll flirt with. You can be 20. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, I need to check my facts. I'm pretty sure um, Jerry, well, I am certain Jerry did go on to be a cab driver in New York. Yes. He was found and interviewed, and he wrote a book. Oh, I didn't know that part. Okay. And I believe he titled it The Marble Fawn.
0: That's awesome. And
1: he writes about his days at Grey Gardens. I've got to get my hands on that book.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he had disappeared pretty much entirely after the film was shot. And uh, they were looking for him. Yes. And he had just disappeared. And then one day they found him as a a cab driver in New York. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, it's a way to make a living.
0: So I know there's a follow-up film to this. The Beals of Grey Gardens.
1: Yeah. Which
0: I... Don't know anything about, and you told me to steer clear of?
1: <laughs> Did I? I think I told you to steer clear of the HBO... Oh, okay, right. Scripted film version. I didn't want you to, like, entirely steer clear of it forever, but I, I just... I think watching the scripted version, which is starring Drew Barrymore as Little Edie and Jessica Lang as Big Edie, I, I think it would just um, muddle your reflections on the documentary oh i agree i think i think it's a drink best taken s- straight up take it yeah. neat take it neat <laughs> <laughs> yeah no
0: i i wouldn't have wanted to watch that without having seen this first um and, I watched and frankly it. after watching this i'm not sure i want to see the the a dramatization of it
1: i watched it um i'm still figuring out how i feel about it isn't it funny i i, I think both i mean jessica lang and drew barrymore are great actresses and it won golden globes and it it won a ton of awards it gives you more backstory into their lives and it manages to put a happy ending on it which i guess that's the thing i'm conflicted about is i don't know that this is a sunday that deserves a cherry on top so to speak you know i just i don't know that capping this with a happy ending it seems a little disingenuous well because
0: i don't think they got you know, a Hollywood happy ending in their own lives. They got what is probably their own happy ending.
1: Well, I mean, but Big Edie got got what she declared was the way she wanted things to go. She's like, the only way I'm leaving Grey Gardens is feet first, and that is indeed how she left after succumbing to pneumonia. Right. And then Little Edie sold the place and moved to first Montreal to work on her French. <laughs> so i guess she doesn't mind if it's kind of a french that isn't all that recognized if you go to france but okay um and then um to malibu where she had a cabaret act for um a week a week yeah that's interesting <laughs> it's not a terribly long run
0: no no but i can i can't imagine i can't imagine her maintaining it for very long either
1: yeah I, she's she's become something like a queer icon, I guess um yes, there was, a, was it a season five of Rupaul's drag race, one of them did little Edie and snatched the prize, yeah, I heard about that i that's not a show that i i watch <laughs> um, no i I don't watch it regularly either, but um i might I might just watch that episode right, just to see. And then there's a lot of um, fashion designers like Todd Oldham and um, John Galliano, who's brilliant but also anti-Semitic, and that should probably be pointed out about him. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Shame on him. They consider her a real a real design influence, an icon. Just I guess for the way she makes textures and colors and patterns and innovative ways of putting garments on. It's definitely unique. (laughs) I don't have that kind of time of a morning, frankly, just to be digging out all those safety pins and tying things and pinning things. It just (laughs) seems complicated. All right. What have we
0: not said about Grey Gardens that you wanted to touch upon before we move into the end credits here?
1: Sure. Well, I I think um, just I kept, like when I said, nothing happens and everything happens. Is that starting to make more sense that actually a whole lot of things happen, like that that birthday party where the kitchen is filthy, but they're, they're trying to be cordial to their guests. So they just, you know, you can sit on paper and that's a cordial. The, 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 these, um, I guess it's a collection of small moments.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm wondering if part of it is because I had not seen it before and because I've seen it so recently that maybe I just need more time to digest on it to fully get what you're saying about it.
1: Yeah. No, it, it bears multiple viewings and um, I haven't done this yet, but I've heard it recommended. I'm going to try it is to watch it with subtitles on.
0: I almost turned the subtitles on because so much of the time they're talking over each other. I was, I, I couldn't make out parts of conversations.
1: Right. Well, and you know, that's why there is there, there's a musical Based on it too, a Broadway musical that did uh, quite well. I'm trying to remember the name of the woman who sang the lead. She's pretty famous too. I should have put her in my notes, but um, she won a Tony. Huh. Yeah, but uh, as I was watching it more recently in preparation for this, th- there is something very contrapuntal about their dialogue, the way it overlaps, and it's it's very rhythmic. And I don't know, do you are you familiar with a lot of musical theater? In some ways, I'm reminded. Oh, of yeah. like Gilbert and Sullivan.
0: Well, it made me, because it's not sung, because it's spoken, it made me think of Robert Altman films. Like, ooh, if if this ooh, wasn't shortcuts. a documentary, I would have said that this was a Robert Altman film because ooh, of the I way they talk. I love that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. You just made me want to see Shortcuts again. <laughs>
0: Alright, let's move into the end credits here. We got a couple of games before we're done. I love the games. First up, the algorithm says this is a list of movies that various algorithms say you will like because you like Grey Gardens. So this is kind of lightning round reaction. Do you mm. like these movies? Do you not do you have you not seen them? That kind of thing, okay? Sure. Alright. First up is Salesman. Loved it. Now that is by the Maisels.
1: It is by oh. the Mazels. It's um it's very dismal and very sad. And torturous. And, and there may not be a sympathetic character. They're not characters of the real people, That, but you might dislike all of them. Right. But I would watch it. Okay. Harlan County, USA. Never watched it.
0: Okay. Gimme Shelter.
1: <laughs> Have seen it. I don't like it as well as Salesman or Gray Gardens.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, Crumb. Loved it that struck me as being up your alley for some reason before we even sat down to record <laughs> i'm actually
1: friends with his um his former muse she's married to a cartoonist friend of mine molly bodie oh, awesome she's got a lot of, lots of she's um mixed race with freckles and lots of reddish curly hair and he's done her image a lot gotcha all right iris Loved it. Love Iris at Oh, That's who I want to be when I get old. <laughs> that is like one of the few on this list that I have seen, and I love that one. Oh, yeah. it, how do you not adore her? She's just, she is the definition of verve and life.
0: Yes. All right. In the shadows of Grey Gardens. Not seen it. This is apparently about a seance where they attempt to commune with the spirits of uh,
1: the spirit of Edie. Oh, that sounds fun and very silly. Yes. Um, capturing the Freedmans. Yes. Um, watched it. Saw, it. saw it in a small um, art house theater. Remember when you, you could go and do things like that in small block box theaters? Those Back were the when days. we could go out, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, those were the days. Um, dark, disturbing. Grey Gardens is happy and uplifting by comparison. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, there's there's no pedophilia not to be... Spoiler alert, but there oh. you go. Yeah.
0: Grown. All right. Moving on quickly. <laughs> um, Bob Dylan, Don't Look Back.
1: Want to see it. It's on my list. Haven't gotten around to it. Okay. Uh, the Queen of Versailles. Yes. Oh, my God. That's a great, like, 90 minutes of pure schadenfreude. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that about that one. I
0: haven't seen it yet, but yeah. All right. And lastly, Million Dollar American Princesses.
1: Haven't seen it. Wait. Wait, have I seen that Million
0: Dollar? Based on the description, it is- uh, I have on... seen that.
1: It was on Netflix.
0: It's all, It's from Smithsonian, and it's about the woman who inspired Downton Abbey?
1: Yes. I have seen okay. it. I have seen it. It, it. It's interesting. It's about how the British aristocracy got so many American chicas into it. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. It, it's also good for, if for if, if is a feeling you enjoy, clearly it's one I do. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's good for that.
0: All right. We always end with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie that I suspect you're going to do really well on <laughs> since you've already hit on most of these. <laughs> Are you ready? Buff
1: as accused.
0: <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. All right. Number one, the Beals of Grey Gardens were not the original intended targets of a documentary by the Maisels. Who was a Jackie Onassis, B Jackie's sister, Lee Radzwell. C, Jackie's first husband, John F. Kennedy, or D, Jackie's second husband, Aristotle Anassas? Lee Radswell. Yep. All right. Number two. Radswell helped with the finances to restore Grey Gardens to help avoid the Beals' eviction. She also funded the initial project that led to Grey Gardens. When the Maisels showed Radswell the footage to convince her Grey Gardens was the better story to follow, how did she respond? A, she fully funded the new project, anonymously b she fully funded the new project publicly c she partially funded the project in hopes they would pursue both stories or d she withdrew her funding and confiscated the existing footage d yep yeah i don't know if she destroyed it or not but she took it away from them as you mentioned earlier isn't she a sweetie yeah well on one hand you can't you can't blame her she's funding a documentary about her youth And her family. And they tell her, no, that's not the way we want to go. I can understand being a little jaded there. Yes, it's true. All right, number three, Edith Beals nicknamed their handyman, Jerry, the Marble Fawn, a nickname that is stated but not clearly explained in the documentary. What is the nickname a reference to? A, his love of hanging out in the wooded groves of the estate. (laughs) B, his passion for sculpture. C, a statue Jerry helped clear out of Grey Gardens, or D, a romance written by Nathaniel Hawthorne? D. Yep. Yeah, he did have a passion for sculpture. I mean, they didn't know it at the time, but that's what he was doing on the side when he was a taxi driver in New York. He was a sculptor.
1: That's so cool. Yeah.
0: All right. And lastly, uh, the film has had an unusual legacy for a documentary adapted in several different mediums. Which of the following is not an ad- adaptation of Grey Gardens? A. Grey Gardens, the Broadway musical. B. Grey Gardens, the rock opera. C. Grey Gardens, the feature film. Or D. Grey Gardens, the play.
1: I would say the rock opera.
0: That's correct. It has I would love not been... to see that. <laughs> well, apparently you want to write it, too, based <laughs> on what you said at the beginning.
1: I, I actually think that... It would be fun since so many things... I don't know. The trend Hollywood's taking now is to take everything cool that was animated and make it live action. What if this were taken animated? That would actually be really cool. (laughs) And Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Oh, God. If the fellows who did Wallace and Gromit took it on? (laughs) Wouldn't that be something to see? that
0: would be something. I mean that's and I I don't think that would be something bad by any means. It would be really unique.
1: <laughs> It'd be so cool. They they would handle the raccoons and the cats just perfectly.
0: All right, what do you want to promote? Where can people find you? And I know you've got some cool stuff to talk about.
1: I have a couple of things. So, I'm co-founding editor of Meat for Tea the Valley Review. That's M E A T F O R T E A the Valley review you can find that at meat dot tea.com. I also have the podcast, the meat for tea cast also M E A T F O R T E A C A S T found on whatever pod catcher people use. And I have a chapbook press, which is on the meat for tea website. Yeah. When you sent me the
0: links to meat for tea, I, 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 I didn't, I guess because I was looking at it visually, I wasn't catching it as a play on words for, you know, meeting for tea. I was just looking at M-E-A-T for tea. And I, I didn't know what the hell I was getting myself into. <laughs> and when I started listening to it, I started to get... The, you want to talk about that title real quickly?
1: I, I can. I think... No, that's right. It turned into a 404. There was a public television interview with me explaining the origins of the name on the press page, but those things go away. Um <laughs> so and this will date me a little bit um in the era of my space a random fellow sent me a message trying to ask me out saying he wanted to meet for tea
0: (laughs) that is not where i thought this story was gonna go (laughs) but it did
1: and he spelled it that way and at the time i was adjunct Faculty in English So, you know, uh-uh, that's not going to get the date Right <laughs> Egregious misspelling, I don't think so <laughs> But um, the way the words look together And the way they almost want to skew palindrome Yeah Appealed to me So initially it was an industrial rock band I was on keys And then um, one part of the band moved to Rhode Island The other part moved to Brooklyn And I was still in Western Mass and when my colleague Alexander Wagman turned to me in the adjunct faculty office and said, "We should start a literary journal," I was like, oh, "Okay, I've got, I've got a cool name." <laughs> and it, it started off as "Meet for Tea: The Northampton Review," and then I moved out of that little town and, well, actually Northampton's home of Smith College. It's not that little, but I moved to East Hampton and decided it should be "The Valley Review," and it's stuck and that's my now almost it's it's fourteen years old, it'll be fifteen this coming March. Awesome. And and physical print, not not an online only journal.
0: Right, right. Well awesome. Well I hope people check it out. It I has hope they do pl- too. I'm it a- has been a pleasure having you on here to so talk our first documentary. Fun. So fun. And a- again a movie I hadn't seen and now I'm really glad I had, so thank you. I'm so glad.
1: Thank you for having me on. This was a blast.
0: So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about Grey Gardens, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Town Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook, where at Have Not Seen This podcast, or you can email me at Have Not Seen This at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. Sticky Stickley, Sanford is the safest village in the country. Now, this big city car. You ever fired two guns whilst jumping through the air? No. You
1: ever fired one gun whilst jumping through the air? No. Must learn.
2: Is it true that there is a place in a man's head that if you shoot it, it will blow up how to think small this
0: podcast is available through all major podcast sources positive ratings and reviews are always welcome as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love and if you like world of warcraft or other blizzard entertainment games be sure to check out my other podcast citizens of azeroth a world of warcraft podcast also available through all major podcast sources Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Elizabeth McDuffie for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsh, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other.